Hello, Illinois. This is Justine. You don't get to hear from me very often, but I am flying solo today because I've got a super exciting guest for you. Um, I am going to be joined by the one and only Miss Jennifer Murray. And if you don't know about Jennifer, you're about to learn because she is incredible. So without further ado, welcome, Jennifer. Oh, well, thank you for such a nice intro. I really appreciate it. And thank you so much for having uh, me on your show today. Yeah, of course. So something we always start out with is tell us where we can find you on social media. Yeah, so my name is spelled differently. It's actually Jennifer with a G and one N. So it's G-E-N-I-F-E-R Murray, M-U-R-R-A-Y. And since I have such a unique spelling, um, you can pretty much find me on LinkedIn with that name, Facebook with that name, Instagram um, with that name. So yeah, I was blessed in that. But I could never uh, get any keychains or anything when I was little. Right. <laughs> I mean, with a name like Justine, I totally sympathize with that. Totally. Yes. <laughs> cool. Um, so let's talk some about what brought you here to the Chillinois podcast, because I actually got some of your contact information from Jane West, just to name drop a little bit, which means that you're kind of a big deal. So tell us how you got started in cannabis and what you've been up to. Yeah, it's a very interesting story. It was uh, back in 2010 and I was visiting my father in Arizona and for the, for the main party golf uh, tournament out there. And I was at a friend of a friend's restaurant, just started talking to this gentleman and he was kind of poking around to see if I was pro marijuana. And he found out quickly I was, and he said, well, what do you think about testing marijuana? And I said, I put my hand up like a joint and said, testing. And he said, no, like they test for active ingredients and pharmaceuticals and food and everything. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> so uh, he said that he had talked to several people about it. Um, nobody was interested. And I definitely was. And he was from Colorado Springs, um, but he couldn't be the face of the company because uh, the stigma, actually Colorado Springs is still not recreational, wow. missing out on all those tax dollars. Yeah. So I was to be the face of the company, uh, arrange the science sales. And we started a lab in April of 2010, one of the first cannabis testing labs in the country, first woman owned testing lab, which I'm very proud. Um, but there are a lot of women now in the lab business in science, which I absolutely love. Um, yeah, so we started, um, I bought that partner out a couple of years later, brought on a new partner and we were doing so amazing. We were ahead of most labs and, uh, but we needed to raise some money. We had bootstrapped and in 2013, nobody was giving money. Uh, or, you know, investing in marijuana, it was very taboo and risky. So uh, we were looking at investors. And unfortunately, I hooked my wagon to let's just say a bad investor and ended up uh, losing the company in 2015. Um, but I can tell you this, I'm very happy I am not in the lab business. That is for sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. And um, so 
kind of where I had heard of you is I was reading a book called Breaking the Grass Ceiling, which um, for any women who are out there listening, if you want to get involved in the cannabis industry or you've had any setbacks in the cannabis industry, I highly recommend this book because it's nothing but tales of women like Jennifer who have had setbacks in the industry, but kept pushing forward. And I was just really inspired by your story in particular. Um, and I loved kind of the, the beginning stages of after you had started the labs where you're talking about, you guys literally had to go door to door and try to convince people, hey, maybe, you know, people might be interested in what your potency is. They might be interested in these cannabinoids. Like maybe you should try this out. And it seems like not a lot of people were on board with it, but now we know as cannabis consumers, if we didn't have that testing data, how are we supposed to know what, what medicine to choose, you know? So, um, did you have like a science background before you got into this? I have a degree in microbiology, which does not make me a scientist at all. <laughs> um, I had, you know, chemists and microbiologists, um, but it was very interesting. Yes. You were talking to people that everything was about THC, you know, mm -hmm. uh, breeding for decades, the minor cannabinoids out so we can get high THC and, you know, so convincing people to test. Uh, you know, the, the common phrase was my shit's the fire. I don't mm -hmm. need to test it. And I would tell people, you know, I would educate them. And especially if they were going to get rid of a strain that they should test because it probably was a minor cannabinoid because most times they got rid of it. It really didn't get you high. Right. Mm -hmm. So um, I had this client in Colorado Springs. Finally, he tested. It took me so long. And again, I did door to door. I drove all over the state of Colorado. Um, and finally he tested and I called him and I said, Jeff, this is exactly why you test. You have a CBD strain. And he goes, well, what's CBD? And I explained <laughs> it to him. He was all excited. And he goes, well, which strain? I told him and he goes, yeah, we got rid of that. And I was like, why? Well, it didn't get you high. It was a low yield and the plants at that time were considered ugly, if you mm. will. So a lot of people early on lost good genetics and unfortunately, and uh, the industry in Colorado will not tell you this, but they lobbied against testing. Um, unfortunately, they didn't want to pay for it. And uh, some of those st same people were like, oh yeah, I always cared, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, no, you didn't. <laughs> <laughs> so it was a, a big education uh, for myself. And then, you know, letting people know that the consumer deserves to know what is going into their body. And when we first started testing residual solvents, Oh my God, it was unbelievable how much butane, propane, hexane was left in the sample. And as a side note, um, Delta eight, which has become very popular, uh, just was banned in Colorado. And, um, you know, I'm glad because most people don't test and they're using solvents. Uh, most of them are using solvents to create Delta eight. Um, and, a lot of it is not tested and people don't know this. They don't know this. Consumers really don't know what cannabis, what 
is in cannabis and what it's tested for. I mean, pesticides, heavy metals, all of that. So it was a big, big learning curve for sure. Yeah. It's always amazing to me how the, some of the more like key players in the industry, they tend to lobby against things that are more beneficial to medical patients like testing and home grow and that kind of stuff. So that, that never ceases to amaze me when I hear about things like that, where they're like, yeah, at the first, you know, in the beginning, nobody wanted us to do it. Well, yeah, because you're going to expose some secrets. (laughs) So why would they? And they, you know, didn't want to pay for it, which I rolled in right around when Colorado was freaking out. Right. I mean, it'd been medical since 2000. Mm-hmm. I didn't even know that. And I've lived here my entire life. Yeah. So when we passed and ended prohibition or no, no, sorry. Before that, when uh, Obama sent out the Ogden memo in late 2009, saying he was not going to mess with states that legalized cannabis or have medical marijuana, sorry. Um, all the dispensaries popped up here. I mean, like more than Starbucks. It was nuts. And so the state of Colorado was like, oh my God, what do, what are we going to do? There's no rules on dispensing and cultivating. So they had an emergency session in 2013 that I um, actually, sorry, they had a uh, rulemaking in 2010, had a, a core group of people to help them start out. But of course it, it wasn't perfect. But at that time, you know, a lot of them weren't paying taxes. They didn't need licenses. So that kind of hit. And then, you know, then the testing came. So I understand there was a lot of expenses and of course, you know, legislation changes on the dime. So you'd spend a lot of money on something and then, oh, by the way, we're changing the label. Oh, and I just bought $20,000 worth of labels, but now we're changing it. So I understood that, but I mean, testing is extremely important and I know people have been sick, um, but it probably wasn't, uh, you know, <clears throat> connected to marijuana because back in the day, who was telling their doctor they smoked marijuana? Right. <laughs> right. Absolutely not. <laughs> yeah. So it's been interesting. Um, but I did, I did get to serve on the governor's task force in 13 when we did end prohibition, which was one of the best nights of my life. Um, I knew deep in my heart, it was gonna, it was gonna go. Colorado is such a progressive and, and wonderful state and wants the best for, you know, the, the, the people that live here. Um, so, uh, so grateful about that. Didn't think it would happen in my lifetime. Yeah. Yeah. I can imagine. I mean, the idea of, you know, both adult use and medical legalization in the same place at the same time, even though it's becoming more and more common, it's still something that, you know, if you think about a state like Indiana, you're like, never going (laughs) to happen either way, never going to happen. But then, you know, even in some more, I guess, states that seem a little bit more conservative, they're now at least introducing medical. And so it's just Colorado really kind of kicked off a revolution for the country. And I'm super grateful for it, for sure. And grateful for your participation in it to make it happen. I appreciate that. Thank you. It was definitely not easy. The stigma was full blown. And, and just because we ended prohibition doesn't mean the stigma went away. I mean, you know, there was a group of, 
ladies that started Smart Colorado, which actually I call Dumb Colorado, <laughs> uh, because uh, you know they would spread lies like hashwells like heroin and blah blah blah, and it was so disheartening. And one of the women actually has a child with epilepsy. So you're like, you don't know how much this could change your life and your oh, child's do. life. <laughs> they do, but I think it's a matter of they can't go back and, um, you know, admit their mistake. I don't know if I had a child, which I don't, I would do anything, um, to protect my child. And of course that was Charlotte, little Charlotte yeah. Figgy. Yeah. Um, and I was lucky enough to test their medicine, um, and, you know, Paige, her and her ex-husband, what they went through to literally, uh, you know, fight the stigma. I mean, she's traveled all over the world mm -hmm. and that is what changed. It was children that you don't need a clinical trial, at least at this time, of course you need clinical trials to see that, okay, you're, you're son or daughter has how many grand mal seizures and then all of a sudden oh they don't have any or it's dramatically uh less than it used to be so you know and it was women like her another amazing mother gail rand in maryland that basically got uh marijuana medical marijuana legalized there it was it was those parents that legislators and regulators took serious yeah. And, and then, um, you know, my, one of my claims to fame is, uh, Sanjay Gupta from CNN, his senior producer reached out to me. I, I guess they were looking up science yeah. and, um, yeah. And I started talking to her and she said, you know, we want to do a documentary on like the real story of this marijuana medical marijuana. And I immediately started talking about the children with epilepsy and she was like, what? And so I did introduce them uh, to Charlotte um, and Zakai's parents, Heather Jackson, who, um, you know, really wasn't in the spotlight as much as Paige, but she was right alongside with her son, Zakai. But um, then Sanjay Gupta created all of those weed documentaries. And then later in 2013, he publicly apologized and said he was wrong about medical marijuana. And so that's when things change. That's when your doctors and nurses, you know, the medical field started paying attention. And if they were on the fence about it, they were over the fence. And if they weren't on the fence, they were now on the fence, if not over the fence. So um, that was extremely important, all revolving around science. Yeah, and I know, um, I saw an article recently that Colorado, I believe they passed a law that is now allowing schools to administer medical marijuana to children who have their medical card, which is amazing because I can't, I can't imagine, you know, being a child that's so dependent on this plant and the only place that you can't get it is the place where you need it the most, where you're stuck for, you know, eight solid hours and you could have a seizure, whatever, at any time. And so I'm really happy for you guys out there that they, they pass that. I know you don't have any children personally, but that's still, it's a big win for the industry. It's a huge win. And actually on the first documentary, um, there was a, a, a son, a young man, I think he was in high school and he had some kind of rare where he would have 
like a seizure in his stomach. Like you could see it and very painful. And he would have to leave school to go, you know, have a lozenge, or I think he was vaping at the time, but literally he smoked the vape, I think, and it immediately stopped. And Sanjay Gupta was like, yeah, I mean, so that is extremely important um, because the saddest part about this whole thing is it's a plant that has been demonized and it is still not federally, federally legal. And speaking of children, there's a, a, a little guy, two and a half, who has uh, Alexander's disease, which basically your white matter disintegrates. It is a terminal disease and he can't get CBD. His, uh, the ex, the mother thinks it's witchcraft and uh, children's hospital will not recommend it. So here you have a little boy that needs it so much, like he's the next Charlotte, um, but you can't get it. And then there are people in jail, in Mm -hmm. prison, getting fired for this plant. So we really still have a lot of work to do. Yeah. And I mean, I work within the cannabis industry. And when I saw the article come out about, you know, kids now being able to access their medical cannabis in school in Colorado, there was a small debate that happened within the company of people saying, well, you know, if you're giving medical cannabis to kids, can't you only give them CBD because the long-term effects of THC on their brain are so harmful? And my response was, how harmful is multiple seizures a day on your brain versus what THC could do? I mean, what, from what I've heard, the studies are largely inconclusive. The most that it's going to do is slow down your growth rate slightly. And, you know, a seizure is completely rocking everything inside of your brain. So is it really that bad of an alternative? And it's a plant that anybody can grow. (laughs) Well, and the interesting thing is, and it's actually hard to grow, by the way, or at least I couldn't grow one plant, I, one marijuana I, plant. You can see all the plants. I, yeah, I can't grow it either. Cole but, grows all of our plants. <laughs> so yeah, seizures are extremely hard on the body, but also the drugs that are given to these kids. Some make you infertile, mm-hmm. um, you know, and there are a list of side effects, CBD, sleep, THC, <laughs> increased appetite, sometimes anxiety, you know, uh, it's sleep too. Like it's just unbelievable. And, but the good news is that, um, like you said, red States are coming on board and why, and why didn't they come on before? Uh, because they're all about States rights Mm -hmm. and they're, you know, most of them are capitalists. So don't you want the tax money? Yeah. I just don't get it. So, Um, I've lobbied in DC uh, for many years and every year more and more Republicans uh, were on board, which is great. I mean, this is a bipartisan issue and, um, you know, there, there were quite a few legislators that actually had children with epilepsy. So they could uh, really relate or they had a family member or a colleague or whatever. So Um, but, uh, also cannabis is paving the way for alternative medicine, period. Um, (laughs) psychedelics, uh, psilocybin, 
just was decriminalized in Denver, Colorado. So talk about progressive, um, which is amazing. Now, Oregon went one step further and legalized, okay, all the psychedelics. Um, however, they're, they're taking two years to formulate the rules and regs and everything, um, but they're taking the cannabis model whereas other psychedelic companies are going the clinical trial route, building ketamine clinics, and then they'll facilitate their drugs through the ketamine clinics. And, you know, there's a lot of uh, noise in that, in, you know, power to the plant, natural medicine, and now we're going to have some synthetic, you know, psychedelics that could come from nature. But um, for me, however patients get help, whatever it is, like, you know, if you can't get the plant or you feel safer taking it from a doctor or whatever, then you should do so. It's whatever is best for you. Um, but I know that's going to be a big, big topic. I mean, it is a big topic. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I'm excited to hear that you are a proponent of, um, you know, using psychedelics medicinally or just having psychedelics, I guess, decriminalized or legalized for people to use. Um, because I personally, you know, I don't like the idea of experimenting with mind altering things. I would much rather have, you know, a, a therapist or a psychologist that's sitting there with you. That's like, okay, here is the amount that you need to take. We're going to sit here. We're going to watch you the whole time because I've known the horror stories of like, oh yeah, you, you take a little bit of mushrooms. It ends up being too much. You're going to completely lose your mind. You know, you're going to have this psychotic episode. And luckily that has not been my experience so far. I found it very therapeutic and very healing and at least a good, like temporary release from depression and anxiety and all of that. So, um, I think that it seems that things like this start with Denver or start with Oregon and then they kind of oh. move outwards. So I'm excited oh. to see some progress there for sure. Well, and I hope Colorado and the rest of the Western states follow the Oregon model. I really yeah. do. Um, but you are correct. Um, psilocybin specifically is a, is a heavy, heavy psychedelic um, compared to an MDMA, but I mean, they're, they're all should be taken very seriously. And, um, uh, you know, back in college, I messed around with mushrooms and, but I had no idea how much I was taking. I actually did have a bad trip once. Luckily I had a neighbor that just kind of hung out with me. And that's why you always need somebody sober. Mm -hmm. Um, so, you know, they can help you if you need it. I truly believe that. And in, in your case, it would be a therapist or whatever, but I just did a pretty heavy dose. Um, and again, you, you, you can, it's like cannabis, right? Oh, I made brownies and I put an ounce in an ounce of what was it? 10%? THC was it, you know, whatever. So that's mushrooms, right? Mm -hmm. You can follow the microdosing or one gram, two gram, but you still don't know how much psilocin is in there. Mm -hmm. But I did, I took a pretty heavy dose, therapeutic intentions, um, all of that uh, with one other person. And yeah, it was heavy and it lasts for quite a while. 
Um, I think that now that I'm older, you know, you can kind of control your thoughts more mm-hmm. um, than when you are younger. Um, but I don't know how people take psychedelics and go to concerts. And right. <laughs> I have no idea. It to me, it's a uh unfortunately it was winter when I took it, but um outdoor. It is an outdoor nature experience, especially for, for psilocybin. And I feel LSD as well. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I'm looking forward to, uh, you know, again, cannabis paving the way, helping with the stigma and opening people's eyes to, Hey, we have been completely lied to by our government over money. Yeah. Pathetic. So people have died, um, you know, major depression, Gen Z, the most depressed or most anxiety, most anxiety in any generation thus far. So we have to have some, um, alternatives, uh, for people that don't want to take pharmaceuticals because, you know, antidepressants, I think the number is only 40% work. Mm -hmm. And in the meantime, how long does it take you to find one? And then it takes a while for it to kick in. And then you have suicidal or whatever side effects. I mean, it's, it's horrible. And then of course add COVID on. So Mm -hmm. I'm a proponent with whatever works, but of course I believe, right. Plant medicine, fungi, um, tree bark, whatever it is, uh, is, um, way better. Yeah. And I'm absolutely right there with you in that, um, you know, anytime I start therapy and especially with a new therapist, I always tell them right off the bat, I'm like, I use cannabis. I prefer natural alternatives. I know that there may come a time where we have a conversation about anti-anxiety meds, mood stabilizers, antidepressants, whatever, but I need you to give me like actual healing skills before I get to that, because that's not something that I want to do for the rest of my life. You know, I'd, I'd rather it was something like psilocybin where I can do it once a week, once every other week. And it makes me feel good enough for just long enough that I don't have to turn to any pills, you know, plants over pills always Yeah, (laughs) for sure. Yeah. Well, psychedelics create new, um, pathways of thinking and everything in the brain. So it's actually, they're actually phenomenal. Um, and I just recently had a good friend die and, um, you know, I watched fantastic fungi, which is amazing if you haven't seen it. And then I watched the Lisa Ling special on CNN about psychedelics and, Um, So I started researching and, you know, it was very hard to find a therapist that would do psilocybin or anything because they could lose their license. Mm -hmm. So then ketamine was, um, you know, a choice, but at the end, he just wouldn't do it, which is really weird to me because he was experienced with psychedelics. He was very, he's done ayahuasca, but you know, at the, he was, he had so much anxiety and depression and pain that I really wished he would have done, you know, some psychedelics to help out with that. But for some reason he just chose not to. Yeah. I mean, I think some people are scared and then it comes back to the whole stigma thing too, of they don't, you know, there's kind of this vision that I have at least where it's like you take acid once and then the next thing you know you've been on tour with the Grateful Dead for six months and <laughs> you know hey, that like, happened I right? guess that happened yeah 
Of yeah. Her. And I mean, I'm, I'm not putting it down, but you know, some people aren't ready for that commitment. <laughs> no, they're not. And, and, you know, if it's your first time taking psychedelics again, the, it really should be with trusted, a small amount of people, somebody that's sober, you know, all of those things to, to take precautions, but there is now a hotline that you can call to get help. And I don't have it right here, but, uh, you know, people are taking it really serious. Nice. That's awesome to know that there's a good resource like that available where you're not just out there floating through the ether on your own. You can call somebody and they'll help you out and bring you back down to earth. Cool. For sure. For sure. Um, to quickly change the subject here. So I mentioned at the beginning of the podcast that I had gotten your information from Jane West, um, which means that you have obviously been instrumental in women grow. That's one of the things that I noticed about, um, the article that was written about you in breaking the grass ceiling is I was like, Oh wow, this Jennifer, she's so cool. And then I, I saw that you said women grow really kind of changed your life. It changed your perspective. And so I was like, oh yes, you know, if you work with Jane West, then that means that you are like, you know, your shit for sure. So (laughs) um, tell us some more about your experiences being a part of Women Grow. Yeah. So I met Jane back in the beginning of 14, where I just, uh, we had just got the investor actually, yeah, at the beginning of 14. So we were just hunting for investment. And she said, you know, what's going on with the women? And I said, well, I said, we have an informal breakfast and stuff, but all of us are running our own companies. So we can't, you know, start an association or whatever it was. And, and I said, why don't you do it? And she said, well, I don't have the money. And I said, or how am I going to get paid? And I said, well, I'm going to, we'll talk to some other women and we'll see. And so I was one of 12, I believe, founding members and it blew up, which was good and bad. Um, You know, there are problems with it growing uh, really fast, but I mean, it was amazing. I've met so many amazing women and it just shows um, how much women need to come together more. Um, and, you know, early in Colorado, we had a, a group of women that, you know, supported each other um, because, again, male dominated space. So Women Grow was an outlet for us to share. And for me personally, it was to give back to other women. I mean, tired after four years of the grind, like let's get some new, fresh blood in Mm -hmm. women that can, you know, spice it up. And Jane West was one of them. Um, So it was phenomenal. And actually, I believe that an average of 25% of men went to these meetings and these get togethers, which I loved, you know, Uh, women need to lift each other up, but they don't need to bash men at the same time. And unfortunately that's happening and that's doing us no, no, giving us no benefits whatsoever. So, um, but you know, before I got into the cannabis industry, I had some key girlfriends, but the majority of my friends, my close friends were males. Mm -hmm. Um, I identified with them more and, uh, it wasn't really till cannabis where I realized, wow, (laughs) 
women have it so much harder, especially owning a business. So, uh, you know, I, I had a newfound respect and love for women that I had never had, sadly. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of women have this experience. And so I've made long lasting relationships with other women. And, and it's so important that we support each other, even if we don't want to, we do not go on Facebook and bash men or women. It, it doesn't help anybody. And I know I've been guilty of that. Um, another thing is if you see something, say something, unfortunately, people don't want to get involved with stuff, but if mm-hmm. you see something or you hear something or whatever it is, you need to get involved because it's not going to change. If you turn your back, you're just as guilty as the other person, whether this is sexual harassment or, you know, women not being promoted, you know, all of those things, it is up to us to make those changes. And I think a lot of us turn to men like, okay, let's make, you can help us make this happen. And that's just not going to, that's not going to happen. Um, there was, uh, and I'm not sure there's probably other cases like this, but Salesforce, the man who owns Salesforce, I don't know if you heard this, but mm-hmm. he, um, I believe it was an HR executive. A woman came to him and said, Hey, there's rumblings that there, you know, people, women aren't getting paid as much, not getting promoted. And he was like, no way. So they audited and sure enough, it was to the tune of $3 million off. Wow. So he made it right. Nice. And then a year later, off. So now he does audits every quarter to make sure that that happens. And that's the right thing to do. Yeah. That is absolutely the right thing to do. And we will never have equality if we don't look out for ourselves and look out for other women. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I 100% agree with you. I mean, um, you know, when we had talked prior to this, I told you that one of my missions as being part of the podcast is to bring more women on and hear more women's perspectives, because I know, um, you know, kind of like you said, where becoming a woman in the cannabis industry, it changes your perspective and you get kind of a newfound respect for other women in the industry, because, um, you know, like, especially out here in Illinois, this is almost a hundred percent, a boys club, you'll find women in maybe management positions, maybe dispensary level, but there are no company owners here that are female. And so to see it in other States to me, I'm just like, wow, that's amazing that you were able to do that. Like you jumped through so many hoops, you climbed that ladder, you asserted yourself, you allowed yourself to take up space in the industry with, you know, no apologies And so, you know, women like you and Jane and other women in the industry that have made waves, I look at you guys and like, God, you guys are badass. Like, that's amazing. Well, you're doing that right now and you will continue to do it. And it takes us all. Um, But yes, it is still very male dominated. And I do have some short statistics um, and I hope my memory serves me, but between 2015 and 2017, uh, women made up 37% of executives and leaders in the cannabis industry, um, which was, you know, of course not 50%, but wow, that's, that's amazing. And then the number has dropped 10% and probably more as the years go by. Um, and there are several reasons for that, but one of them is 
um, you know, the, the stigma is going away. So your traditional money, your banks, all of that are, you know, men. And men usually invest with men, which is funny because um, Mr. Wonderful, which I don't know how he got that name on Shark Tank, he actually was the keynote at one of the MJ Biz Spring Shows. And it was fascinating. He, he said that he had his portfolio audited and all the top performing companies were women owned. Nice. And he said, one of the reasons that stuck out is women set their goals 30% lower, but make them 95% of the time where men only make them, I think it was 25% of the time, which of course brings down morale, brings down sales, lowers revenue. Um, and women, you know, we usually care more and we have better relationships with, you know, we can have some emotions and bring the feminine, you know, into the company. And, you know, we, we need to have this for, for men and women's sake, for business sake, for patients sake. Yeah. Um, so, you know, we need to, but another statistics, and this was a couple of years ago, guess how many women were in leader positions or executive positions in the entire United States in every industry? What do you think that number is? Probably 15%. So it's higher than that. It was 26%, but still not even close to 50%. Yeah. And we're just as smart. We're just as driven, but we have different qualities that make businesses better in a lot of aspects. And you need both views when you're making decisions. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that, um, you know, one thing that I ran into in other industries, but have not run into in the cannabis industry is women being very competitive with each other. And, you know, like you said, putting each other down, we can't do that, especially in, you know, such a male dominated industry that there's so many regulations and rules and little, um, nuances and stuff that I have found that as a whole in the cannabis industry, women are super supportive of each other. It's pretty amazing. And, you know, having groups like women grow is just what an amazing resource you guys created. That's interesting. And, and that's good to hear because, uh, you know, I see a lot of infighting and there was a lot of that in women grow. Um, really? yeah. And, you know, and it's going to happen and you have different personalities and everything, but one thing that women tend to do is they hold grudges and they, you know, are catty a lot of the time and men just aren't men can have a fist fight and then be friends two minutes later, you know, yeah. and women just usually not all women hold on to things. And I know that I've been part of gossip and all of that stuff. And it's just nasty. Mm -hmm. If you don't like somebody then fine, but it doesn't mean you can't support them in whatever they're doing. I mean, we need to set example for future generations like yourself so you early on understand that women have had it very hard and that, you know, you need to start off life like, okay, this is what I need to, to do. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So what kind of advice do you have for future generations of women coming into the cannabis industry? 
Um, wow. Well, expecting it again to be male dominated. And, you know, we have to figure out a way how to manage like women mm-hmm. and not like men. Um, I, it's, it's extremely hard. And I have a lot of male friends that are like, you know, why aren't you doing this or whatever? And I don't even really know what that looks like. Right. I mean, we're more emotional. Yeah. So, you know, I, I, I have a hard time hiding emotion and probably in the corporate world, I wasn't ideal sometimes, Yeah. <laughs> but that's why I'm an entrepreneur <laughs> <Don't work laughs> for anybody. Um, but I would tell women that, Again, you have to have a special place in your heart for other women and that women need mentoring and that we can uh, have some of our spare time that is, you know, is helping to mentor other women um, for free or a low cost. I mean, I also think that women give a lot of their time for free. And they should get paid for it. I mean, I know a lot of men that that reach out to me. I want to pick your brain or blah, blah, blah on LinkedIn. And I let them know that I offer consulting and never hear from them again. Of course. Um, So, you know, people don't want to pay for things. And it's like, I have almost, I have 11 years of experience in cannabis. And you don't want to pay me for an hour or two. Wow. Yeah. Volume. So women need to be charging for their time. It is valuable, but you know, at, at some point you also need to mentor. And I've been part of a couple mentoring groups and I continue, want to continue to mentor and people can reach out to me on LinkedIn about that. Um, but I think it's very important. I also think it's important to spend money with women-owned companies. Yeah. Okay? And we are so ingrained not to really think about that, that I was talking to a woman who was um, consulting and she had to find an extraction company and another male. And I'm like, why aren't you now extraction is a little harder, but there are female extractors out there. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, you need to make the effort to go out and find women. Now, I'm not saying you hire somebody just because they're a woman. Like, and they don't fit, they don't have the experience or whatever it is. I'm not saying that at all, but you really have to make an effort. And I just spoke on a psychedelic panel and I reached out to 10 women. They all said no. So guess who was on my panel? Three white men. Yeah. So not ideal, (laughs) not ideal. So women need to take a bigger stand and speak. And if I catch my male counterparts speaking on panels with no women, I let them know. And it's like, you know, why don't you have the owner be on the panel? Who's a woman Mm -hmm. than you or whoever. And a lot of times they're like, yeah, I know we tried and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, yeah, women, you need to start saying yes to these things. It's, it's extremely important, but yes, spend money with women-owned companies and then understand that cannabis is extremely difficult um, mm-hmm. all around the regulations, still the stigma, you know, all around still have, you know, states that think it's, you know, the devil's lettuce, I guess. Right. Called. So, but those are a few things. And then, you know, take jobs with, um, women-owned companies or, you know, s- women executives, um, another place women aren't are on boards. Yeah. You yeah. See very few women on boards. 
And it's, it's sad. And it can be an, a product for women. Right. No women on the board. What, what, how does that even make sense? It doesn't. Exactly. Yeah. I would never trust a product that's meant for women that was developed entirely by men. That just, that just doesn't sit right with me. <laughs> No. And I think it was, I think it was L'Oreal or one of the big cosmetic companies. They just did hire their first woman CEO. Man, I'm just like, wow, what <laughs> have we got ourselves into? And we have to take accountability for it and come together. That is the only way we are going to move us and the feminine energy, if you will, forward. Yeah, absolutely. I know there's a, a clothing brand out there that I, I always look at their merch. I haven't made any purchases yet because they charge what it's worth. So, you know, it's a little more expensive and, um, the whole brand is buy weed from women. Everything that they have says buy weed from women. And I 100% support that. I'm like, yes, I would love to, if I lived outside of Illinois, I could buy weed from women, but here in Illinois, that's just, there are no companies that are owned wow. that way, but with my job, I work with, um, my territory that I primarily cover in the cannabis industry is in Oklahoma. And I talk to a ton of women dispensary owners every day. And really? it makes me, yeah, it makes me That's so crazy. happy. So excited that I'm like, I don't even care if you guys were doing it the way of like your husband actually owns the business, but he put your name on the license doesn't matter to me because you're the one that I'm talking to as my main point of contact. You know, what's going on. You're not saying they're like, Oh, well, let me ask him. I don't really know about that. Like these women are informed and I love that. I would love to see that in more industries. Yeah. And I, I don't really know about the, the Oklahoma market and I'm, you know, kind of switching over to psychedelics, but mm -hmm. um, yeah, it's, it's important to figure out like women owners. Um, 100%. Uh, that's, that's a, a, a number one thing. And, you know, is a man going to help you with your menstrual cramps <laughs> and how you feel? What is it, you know, what do you need for that? I mean, they can give you a standard answer, like a one-to-one. -one, um, but you know, do they really understand what you're going through? No. So yeah. why are they advising you? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. And, you know, when I worked in the dispensary dealing with medical patients, we would have women that would ask about, you know, PCOS symptoms and how to, what strains can I use to treat that? And, you know, if you're asking a male butt tender, I would kind of butt in and be like, listen, they don't, they don't really know because they've never experienced a menstrual cramp for a moment in their life. So right. come over here and talk to me and I'll tell you what I use. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, the ladies that did breaking the grass ceiling, I mean, it was very, uh, timely, very important. I loved the name. Um, mm -hmm. I'm pretty close to Lauren Devine, who was one of the authors. Um, she actually is, uh, almost graduating from law school. Wow. So, which is fabulous. Cause there's another male dominated space. Um, so that book was incredible. And those ladies, like literally it was December 15th and they came to us and said, Hey, we want to do this book. We need it by, uh, South by Southwest for, for, um, in Austin. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, because she was speak, they were speaking on a panel 
And they're like, here's what we're going to do. We're going to interview you, tape you, write it up, and then you edit it. I thought it was brilliant. They did a book in three months. Wow. Brilliant. Yeah. And I think, I think it's just amazing, like how many different aspects of the industry are captured because they did so many different interviews and talked to so many different women who are doing things. And um, I had shared with you that you were the first story that I came across to, you weren't crediting your husband or your children for motivating you to get into the industry. And I was really? like, I was like oh. this is my girl. I feel this. Like I, I'm not motivated by that. This is purely my own enjoyment and interest. So I thought that was great. I had no idea that I was one of the only women that didn't have a motivation for a husband or a boyfriend or whatever. Um, I've never been married. I just turned 50. So I, yeah, it was all, it was all about me. Now my first partner was a male and he's the one who facilitated this. So, you know, I could give credit to that, but, um, no, it's the plant itself. Uh, and when I found out it wasn't tested and, you know, more about it, I, immediately gravitated to it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you, you found a void in the industry and you came up with a solution on how to fill it and you took the hard road to make it happen. But here we are. I mean, I don't know of a single state where testing is not required as part of, you know, just being involved in the industry. So I think what you did made a huge wave and you should be very proud of yourself for that. I really appreciate that. And I I think uh, we get bogged down by the negative things instead of, wow, you know, I did this, I did that. Um, Instead, it's like, God, I messed this up or I messed that up. I think that's a lot of uh, women characteristic as well. We, We beat ourselves up way too much and Um, you know, I'm so grateful for everything that I've gone through in this industry, good and bad. Um, so, you know, it's a learning life is a learning experience. And when you stop learning, you stop living. Yeah. That's the bottom line. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I, I definitely feel that because I, January of 2020 had started a cannabis business with a friend of mine. And of course the pandemic happened and we were going to be centered around events and there were no events. And so I, I definitely find myself falling into that trap of like, I'm a failed business owner. I failed it instead of being like, Hey, I took a chance and it was just bad timing. (laughs) Yeah. And so you know, that's, that's another thing that's just really inspiring for me about your story is that you took a chance and it didn't hundred percent work out, but it's put you in this position to influence and to, like you said, mentor other women on being in the industry. Um, and for women who are interested in your mentorship services, how, what's the best way to get in contact with you for that? Probably LinkedIn. I would say. Um, and I do it when I can. Um, yeah. but I have, uh, you know, the people I've mentored said they got great value out of it. Um, I won't tell you what you want to hear, you know, I right. give you the hard facts and it's hard owning a business. Everybody, you know, it's like, we, we own a business, but it's extremely hard. Um, but you can do it again and, and big risk equals big reward. And yeah, I lost my company, but I learned a lot and it ended up, I do not want to be in that, that part of the business anyway. 
Yeah. So um, it all works out. But again, you, you have to take chances. And I think for women, um, we're a little bit less risk adverse. Mm -hmm. Um, And what I can tell you is there's still an opportunity. If there's not a lot of events there, um, you definitely should take advantage of that. And it could be starting with five people, right? You know, it doesn't have to start with a hundred. It can start with five as long. And I feel like if you do what you love, money will come with it. If you do not do what you love and you're upset and don't want to go to work or hate the company you created, you know, you're never going to have abundance. You're going to have low, you know, energy, low vibration. And that just is not going to create abundance for you. So unfortunately, when I was younger, it was like, okay, doctor, lawyer, teacher, you know, um, whatever. And it wasn't go do what you love. It was get your foot in the door, right? (laughs) You know, get your foot in the door and move up the ladder. And that was not for me. Like it was spelled out in a neon sign that, um, you know, that I needed to work for myself. And I thank my first partner. I'm so grateful for him that he launched me into the entrepreneurship. I would have never probably done it without him. Yeah. So I'm super grateful for him to, to, to facilitate that and right, right time, right place. And as you know, a lot of it is timing as well. And there's a reason why that happened with you, the events, maybe you weren't ready, whatever it is. But, um, one thing I will say about partnership is I believe that women get into partnerships when they don't need a partner. I think that they are scared and, you know, two reasons you should get a partner is money or a skill set. And a lot of times women get in business and they're both marketers or they're both in sales or they're both in accounting. And it's like, okay, that's, that doesn't even make sense. So if you do pick a partner or have a business partner, you need to write your contract as you hate each other. Yeah. The worst possible thing has happened and go from there because at the beginning it's all it's all fun and everything's great you got a good logo but did you have a good foundation um you have to spend the money for an attorney unfortunately um please make it a woman attorney Mm -hmm. uh there's plenty out there in cannabis or outside cannabis um but you know, a business is extremely difficult and some people don't realize that. And it's 24 seven, you yeah. just don't go home and stop thinking about it. I mean, it is, it becomes your life and to have balance is hard, especially women that want a family and, and everything like that. So, um, but yeah, the, the partner, the contract, so important. I've known so many women that lost their business, uh, for bad operating agreements, or they got diluted down. Um, you know, it's, it's terrible. It it, it really is. And of course, men have lost companies too. I'm not saying it's just women, but I feel like we're also more trusting. And so you can trust, but do your due diligence at, at the same time and spend the money at the beginning to have a good foundation with, you know, contracts and setting up your company appropriately. Yeah. And I think, you know, that was something that was really eye-opening for me to read about your experience was 
you saying like, yes, you need to have an attorney, you need to have a contract. And that could be part of the reason why my business didn't work out because we started it as we're friends. Nothing will go wrong here. We never had a contract. We never had an attorney. Um, you know, luckily I was able to close the business without any incident, but I can't imagine, you know, if things progressed further down the line, things got bigger, you know, we got to a place where, you know, we're a a recognized brand and then one of us wants to pull out and that would have been a nightmare. (laughs) Or aren't pulling their weight. Yeah. You know, a lot of times it's one person working all the time and the other one is, you know, allowing that to happen. So it's about setting those expectations ahead of time. Like everything you can talk about, how much time you're going to spend on the business, who's going to do this, what happens in conflict, um, you know, having an advisory board or people that you can get advice from. But not only do you need an attorney, if you have a business partner, you need a company attorney and you need your own attorney. And I made that big mistake. Um, yeah, you, you have to have your own attorney and there are great attorneys out there and there are absolutely horrible attorneys. And I've had, uh, pretty much horrible attorneys. So you really want to hopefully get a referral and understand the costs, um, upfront because some of these attorneys are, are literally charging a ridiculous amount for something you pretty much could get off legal zoom. So Um, but again, you need to understand the contract. And of course, you know, attorney knows the best. Plus there are millions of attorneys. You have business attorneys, you have litigators, you have trademark attorneys. So, uh, I mean, it's, it's a difficult space to navigate and that's where mentoring comes in and how I can share my knowledge and mistakes. And you learn way more from mistakes than you ever do successes. And I bet you money that you, uh, you know, maybe would have lost your friendship, but I did have a good friend work for me at, at the lab and we are amazing friends still today. So it's not that it can't work, but it's the expectations that aren't created at the beginning that crush stuff. And like you said, Oh, we're friends or, Oh, we're family. (laughs) That doesn't mean a whole lot when it comes to business, unfortunately. No, it doesn't. And, you know, the family bond isn't always strong in business as you think it is when there's money involved. Everything changes when there's money involved. Yeah, absolutely. Perfect. Mm -hmm. Well, I, we're coming to the end of our time here. So I just wanted to say Thank you so much. I really appreciate your time today. Um, You've given a lot of really wise words and good advice. And I think that there's going to be a lot of value to come out of this. And um, again, I just, I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you so much. And without you, I wouldn't be here to share my stories. So I appreciate you being so diligent and tracking me. It was also nice that Jane sent me a a text, as you can imagine, so many people reach out to me. Um, So yeah, I appreciate you and keep doing what you're doing. And, you know, I know you have a a man that hosts this show. Uh, Maybe you should switch off every other week or every other person you get to, to drive the, you know, the drive the ship or, you know, sail the ship, if you will. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's kind of the game plan moving forward as we each pick our own guests and we get to drive if you pick the guest. <laughs> oh, and that's good. And if men aren't supporting you or women aren't supporting you, 
don't spend a lot of time with them. You really need to surround yourself with people that are smarter than you. Absolutely. I agree. Cool. Well, thank you again. um, And I hope that you enjoy the rest of your day. Thank 